Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Okay, welcome. Um, We're in our series, uh, Running with Endurance. But before we get into that, I'm guessing you've noticed something a little bit different about me this morning. Yes, I've got a bit of a tan and I'm looking hench. And uh, (laughs) No, you see, I've got a beard. We've been to North Devon for our holidays. And in North Devon, it's it's kind of surfing country and you kind of have to try and fit in. So uh, I I grew my beard just for the week. It'll be going again shortly. Um, Would you mind putting up the PowerPoint? Uh, uh, Daniel. So I've got a photo of you. This was this time yesterday. This was me on the beach in Woolacombe about to go surfing. And then this is me kind of half an hour later. There I am. (laughs) What? You can just about see the startings of my beard there. Um, But yeah, so this is uh, running with endurance. I better move on. we're looking at the, in this series, over, just over the summer, we're looking at the um, heroes of faith from, I'm going to better move that one on, I don't know, <laughs> from Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Um, but what it's not about, it's not just about looking at these people uh, from Hebrews. We're not interested in just finding out history or finding out you know, um, uh, what they did or you know, uh, how they lived. What we are interested in is how it inspires us to be different and to change and to become better than uh, we have been. And, and what's great is you have, in Hebrews 11, you have this whole uh, chapter about all these great people in the Bible, great men and women who did great things. Uh, but then right at the very end, and obviously when this was written, it wasn't written in chapters. This would have just come straight after it. We read this at the beginning of the, the next chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So all the information that we've had in chapter 11 about all these people that we're looking at is there to move us forward. We're the next guys in the race. I remember when Bill Wilson was here a few years ago, he he, uh, spoke about this this, uh, verse and he talked about the Christian life being like a relay race um, with the guys that came before us passing on the baton to us and we're kind of moving forward from that. We are surrounded by these witnesses so we can, have, we, we can move even further in, in God. So far, uh, the last couple of weeks, Deborah has uh, uh, brought us and uh, looked at uh, Enoch the week before last and then Rahab last week. Um, I didn't listen to the Rahab one yet, um, but the Enoch one that I heard two weeks ago was absolutely brilliant. Today we're gonna look at uh, Jacob because Jacob is also mentioned in this passage. And um, it's not actually the life of Jacob that we're interested in, because in this passage in Hebrews, um, the writer talks about actually the end of Jacob's life. Um, it's the, the death, the, uh, it's, it's the, very, the point where he's 
he knows he's about to die and he's talking to um, his children. Now there's loads and loads of stuff written about Jacob. In, we find it all in the book of Genesis. There's been musicals written about Joseph, his son. Um, and we know that so much of Jacob's life is sermon worthy. You know, there was the uh, dream that he had of the ladder going up to heaven. There was the time he wrestled with God. There was a time that he went to his uncles and worked for seven years for his wife. There's so much great material in the life of Jacob that we could use. But the writer in Hebrews, when he's talking about Jacob's faith, specifically brings up the end of Jacob's life. Um, and let's have a look at the verse where we find it. So in chapter 11, verse 21, it just makes this really short sentence. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. So Jacob is 147 years old at this point. For most of his life, he'd lived in um, the land of Canaan. But for the last 17 years, he's been in Egypt, um, where, when Joseph, who was a kind of prime minister of Egypt, invited him and his family. Jacob's lived a pretty turbulent life. In many ways, he's the least attractive of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's got many faults that we read about uh, in, in his life story. We're reminded that his original name, Jacob, um, is connected to the word for deceiver and deceit. Um, and, you know, actually we see in the story Jacob deceiving his brother Esau. He deceives his father Isaac. He deceives his future father-in-law Laban. And um, there's all sorts of uh, wrong things going on in, in, in Jacob's life. There's numerous, numerous examples of character defects. And also his family. There's quite a lot of family dysfunction uh, that we read about. Um, you know, there's time when uh, his sons wiped out an entire town um, by tricking them. Again, I'm not going to talk about that because it involves things I don't want to talk about, um, namely circumcision. Um, so there's a dysfunction there, there's character defects, um, but in spite of all Jacob's failings, we also see the principle of, principle of faith operating continually through his life. And this is encouraging for us, not because, not because we're better than Jacob, but because we're the same. We all have similar character defects, similar dysfunctions, we all have families that don't do what we, we'd like them to do always. And we don't always do what we'd like to do. Nobody does. And so we look at, we look at Jacob's life and we can feel drawn to it and, we, and, it, and it can give us encouraging, encouragement um, because we're the same. And we can certainly see a guy in Jacob who, who ran with endurance. He was somebody who was willing to run with endurance. Um, this was a guy who worked for seven years uh, for the privilege of marrying the girl that he fancied. Men, what did you do to get your wife? <laughs> seven years? Sounds like a long time. Actually, no, you're all right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, seven years? No, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> and in the end, he works another seven years and ends up with two wives and two concubines as well. Um, so this was a guy who absolutely was willing to run with endurance in some areas. He was also somebody who wrestled with God for a whole night. He wrestled with him in order to get a blessing. 
He was willing to endure that. He had endurance. So what gave Jacob his endurance? What gave him the, the fortitude to carry on, uh, to continue his, his journey of faith? Well, earlier on in Genesis, we're not going to go too much into this. We read about the promises and the blessings that God promised to Jacob. And it's those promises that Jacob holds on to for his entire life. The good stuff and the, and the bad times, he's remembering what God has promised him. And it gives him endurance to carry on and to wait. And for us, we, we don't really like to wait for things. As a, as a community these days, it feels like life is getting faster and faster and we expect instant gratification for things, don't we? This week we've been, uh, obviously I said in North Devon, and the town we're in had no internet, like no 3G. And for the first couple of days, I was sat on my bed shaking like this, uh, no internet. You've, you're so used to thinking, oh, I need to look up this. I'll just go online and look for it. And we had no internet, no internet. Can you believe that? No internet uh, for a whole week. Um, and, you know, I couldn't order anything. I couldn't use my sat nav because there was no internet. Did I say that? Um, we had a brilliant holiday, by the way. Um, I think Fru was quite, quite pleased. Um, so it was just like the olden days this week, no internet. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was driving the minibus, driving the, the youth to New Wine. And uh, the day before, I took the minibus home so I could drive it to church to pick them up. And Andrew, my, my son, was with me. And it was a hot day. And he said to me, Dad, do you mind if I open the window? And I said, no, that's fine. And obviously, this window was an old-fashioned window. But he looked at it and started to press everything that he could find. <laughs> Dad, it doesn't work. How do you open the window? I said, oh, you have to do this, son. <laughs> We're so used to it. We get used to it. We start taking things, things for granted. He'd never seen a manual window before in his 10 years of his life, which is amazing. <laughs> now, Jacob was a man who, who took God at his word. He, he decided to believe the promises that he'd been given and his, and his father and his grandfather had been given despite never seeing them come to fruition. Jacob was a man of far-seeing faith and this is particularly demonstrated in the last few hours of his life which is what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand. So we're going to look at three demonstrations of Jacob's faith, three attitudes that we are told about in this verse. Um, first of all, um, his demonstrations of faith. Number one, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. That's what it tells us. It also tells us that he leaned on his staff. And you may think that's a strange thing to say, but I'll we'll unpack that in, in a little while. And it also tells us that he worshipped. And each of these three things is a great attitude. Uh, we can learn from this to in increase and um, believe in God, increase our faith and believe in God all the more as we look at it. So, first of all, blessing Joseph's sons was an act of deep faith. Why is that? Well, we know that it's quite normal um, to leave an inheritance to your children. Um, in fact, uh, last summer, Fru's grandfather, who was 99 at the time, he passed away, and he left an inheritance uh, to his children, but he also left an inheritance to his great-grandchildren. He left them each uh, 501 pounds. Now you might think, oh, that's a bit of a strange sum of money. Well, it's because when he was a fighter pilot in the Second World War and he 
uh, he was in the 501 squadron and he wanted to give each of his great-grandchildren, grand which is quite a number, there's five in our family, um, and he wanted to leave each of them £501 and so we decided to, um, you know, to bank it for them and said that when they are ready to start driving, they can use it to put to driving lessons, which is kind of connected to him being a, a pilot, obviously not piloting a car, but you know what I mean. It, we, we felt it was right and, uh, and kind of an honouring thing. And so I've said to them, when they're 40, they can have it, and then they can learn to <laughs> drive their cars. So usually when you, when you um, are writing your will, you have an inheritance, you have an estate, which is divided up according to your wishes. So what was different about Jacob's legacy, and why does it inspire fate? Well, there's a number of things. We read, first of all, that he left a portion of his inheritance to Joseph's sons, that's Jacob's grandsons, Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh, um, which is really interesting. It's not as if he didn't have enough kids of his own. He had like 12 sons and, and at least one daughter that we know about. Um, and actually, we read in the original text that Jacob adopted these two sons, and, 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 he, and he brings them, actually makes them his own sons, and he includes them. He's, these are the only grandchildren out of his big, enormous family that he includes in his inheritance, which is an unusual thing. Why would he do that? Well, we know that he loved Joseph dearly, and, and actually I think he was responding to God as well. And eventually Ephraim and Manasseh become two of the 12 tribes of Israel as well. They're the only grandchildren of Jacob that did all the rest were his, his direct children. So uh, he adopted these two sons and he treated them like his own in faith. Second thing he did um, that was interesting, if we look at this, Ephraim and Manasseh were in Egypt. And we know that Joseph was kind of like a prime minister. He was number two in Egypt. So Joseph's sons were already kind of like princes in Egypt. And you've got this farmer from Canaan wanting to include them in his inheritance. That's kind of a strange thing when I started to think about this. These guys would have been pretty wealthy. They would have had a lot of influence and a lot of wealth in their own right. And Jacob ignores this and decides that he wants to include them as his own children. And I was thinking, well, what's that about? It would like me offering to leave a part of my inheritance to Prince George, you know, um, Will and Catherine's baby. Okay, dear George, it's your lucky day. I've decided to leave you my lawnmower. Uh, like, <laughs> this is somebody who's got so much already, and yet Jacob decides to include him in his inheritance. What's that about? It's a bit strange. And, and you might be thinking about this and thinking, well, actually, my life is sorted. You know, I have a, everything I need already. But actually, God's inheritance, it far outweighs any human wealth you can possibly imagine. Anything that you've got is nothing compared to the inheritance that God has for you. And if you don't know God in that way, if you haven't accepted him in that way, then today would be a good time to do that and become part of his adopted family and become uh, part of the inheritance that he's got for you. So it's kind of interesting. By faith, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons and brings them into his family and leaves them his inheritance. And the third thing that's interesting is Jacob is leaving an inheritance that he doesn't even own yet. This stuff, he's, leaving, he's, he's portioning out the land of Canaan to Ephraim and Manasseh and to his sons. But this is land that is still occupied by a whole group of people, by the Canaanites, by the Amalekites, by the Hittites, by the Jebusites. There's all these people living in this land and Jacob is happily uh, 
apportioning it out to all his sons and to, the, and to Ephraim and Manasseh, even though it's not his yet. It would be like me putting Mark's Porsche on my will, leaving it to Gideon, my son. I'm sure Gideon would be very happy with that. <laughs> Mark might think, well, that's a bit odd. Um, but there we go. It's, he, didn't, he, he didn't have the inheritance. He wasn't living in it yet. But he believed God. That's why he was doing it by faith. He was blessing his sons by faith because it was, it was an inheritance that Jacob hadn't even owned yet, but he knew he would one day. He knew it would be left to his family. He's holding on to these promises that God made to him years earlier. Over a century earlier, these promises were made to Jacob. Over a hundred years before, God had made these promises to him. And he stood on it for that long. He stood on it for over a hundred years. And then even at the end of his life, when he knew he hadn't seen the fruition of those promises, he was willing to believe it even further into the giving it to his, to his sons and leaving it. He can see what Joseph's sons already have, but he knows it's nothing compared to the promises of God concerning their future. So there's deep faith there as he blesses Joseph's sons. The second thing that um, he does that the Hebrews uh, writer mentions is he leaned on his staff. Which is again another interesting uh, image. Um, and I went outside just before the service and I found this stick, staff, exactly like Jacob's I'm sure. Maybe Jacob's would have been a bit bigger and maybe a bit straighter. But staffs feature a lot in the Bible. If you read through the Old Testament we know that Moses had a staff we know that Aaron had a staff. We know Elijah had a staff. We know that Jacob had a staff. We know that David had a staff and Elisha. The staff was important for these people. So we know that Jacob obviously is nearing his, his death and he's 147. So he may be forgiven for thinking, oh, the staff is there just to hold him up because he's tired and he's leaning on his staff because he's tired. And he may well have been. But there's more going on. There's a lot more going on. The staff was kind of a person's life story. What they would do is they would, whenever something significant happened, they would, they would have their staff and they would just cut a notch into the staff. And it would remind them, so I have to be careful with that, um, it would remind them of what God had done in a particular uh, instance. And so their staff, by the end of his life, Jacob's staff would have been covered with these notches and these marks as reminders of God's goodness and God's blessing to him. Now for me, you know, if this staff is a witness of everything that they've been through, for me, you know, if I had a staff, maybe I would carve when I was six years old and I decided to give my life to Jesus and I got baptised. Maybe that would be just there and that would help me remember the time I decided to do that. Maybe it would be, I don't know, passing my driving test. That was quite an important moment for me when I passed my driving test and I became mobile. Maybe it would be getting my first birdie. I'm not talking about buying a budgie, I'm talking about playing golf. Um, getting my first birdie on the golf course, that's kind of important, I guess. Maybe it would be when I got married. Yeah, definitely when I got married, that was important too. Almost as important as my birdie. No. <laughs> I got married. When I had kids, each kid, you'd put a little mark on there. Jake, uh, JJ, when he was in hospital and he came through the illness he had as a baby, I'd put a little mark there because that's important to me and it reminds me of God's goodness. The day that Gideon offered to wash up, that was <laughs> important. 
I'm hoping that happens again someday. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you know, we went to New Wine. And actually, I was here in the service on the Sunday morning before we went, and my family, Fru and the family, went on ahead. And when I got there, because I was driving the youth, Fru had already erected the tent and everything, which is amazing. So I've put that on there. Fru erected the tent. <laughs> That's got to go on there. And it's brilliant because it means whenever we go on holiday now, I know that Fru can put the tent up. So I'm going to go and play golf, um, I guess. And Jacob, what would he have on his staff? Well, he might put on the time that he gets Esau to sell him his birthright as the oldest child. He might put on the time that he got uh, Isaac to give him uh, Esau's blessing. He deceived Isaac. It might be the time he got sent away to his uncle Laban um, because he was running for his life. Maybe he would put the time that he met God and had that dream of that stairway to heaven. That was an important dream. And the angels going up and down that stairway. And God's presence came and God promised him the first time. God promised him these blessings. Uh, maybe it would be the time that he saw Rachel, his future wife, he saw her across a crowded field at the well. And maybe that would go on there. Actually, he tells us something interesting. He says that he went up to her and he kissed her. And then he started crying. Although, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I don't, I'm not going to go about that. Um, uh, maybe it's the time that he, de- he was deceived into marrying Leah and didn't get Rachel for that first seven years. But then he eventually gets Rachel as well. Maybe it was the birth of his first son, Reuben. That's an important time. Maybe it's the time that God blesses Jacob with lots of, of, of uh, crops and flocks and wealth and servants. And um, maybe it's the time he wrestles with God and spends the night wrestling with God. Maybe it's the time that he's reunited with his brother Esau. He thinks Esau's going to come and kill him, but he doesn't. And he meets him and it's a happy reunion. Maybe it's the time that God appears again after that and reminds him of the blessing that he's already made about the whole land that he's going to give him and his descendants. Maybe there's sad stuff on there. Maybe it's the time that Rachel dies, his wife. And then the time his father dies, Isaac. That probably goes on there as well. Maybe that's the time when he thinks that Joseph has died, when his brothers come back and say that Joseph's been killed by wild animals. That's difficult. The death of your favourite son. The death of any son, I guess, is difficult. Maybe it's the time they were in the famine. That goes in there, and they're struggling to exist. And then maybe it's the time that he's reunited with his son Joseph. That would definitely go on there. So there's all sorts of things that would be on his staff. His staff is covered in events. There's some good things. There's some bad things. There's some things that he's done wrong. There's some things that others have done to him. There's God's promises. There's successes. There's his loves, his lusts, his fears, his disputes and his doubts and deaths. The staff is the story of his life. And so Jacob on his deathbed, leaning on his staff. He's in a sense, he's looking back at the whole of his life and it tells us that he's worshipping. He's looking back at all the events that make up his life and it's causing him to worship. It's causing him to give God glory and praise and honour and respect because of what's God's due. So how does this speak to us of faith? When we remember the good stuff, it's easy to, for that to lead us to worship, isn't it? When we remember all the, all the good things that God has done. It's easy for us to think, yeah, that causes me to, to bring praise and glory to God and worship to God in those moments. But what about the, the, the bad memories, the mess-ups, 
the disasters and the trials and the persecutions and the sins and the things that we've done that are less than honourable. Do we just forget those? Obviously we don't. They're part, of our, they're part of what makes us up. All those things that are in our life, all those historical events that are not so good, they still make us who we are. We don't want to forget them just because the pain is too much. We can draw hope from them, from all those things that are behind us. We can lean on those things and we can remember that at those moments God's grace and mercy was evident and he lifted us up from the miry pit and he put our feet on a solid rock. It reminds us of God's grace, all those difficult things. And it reminds us that there were opportunities to grow in character, opportunities to practice forgiveness, opportunities to worship a God who loves us despite ourselves. I remember um, a few years ago I went to California to visit a church, um, a church called Bethel. And at this church they were having a lot of healings at the time and particularly healings to do with hearing. And as you know I'm pretty deaf, I wear a couple of hearing aids now and, um, and I went fully expecting God to bring healing to me because I'd been listening to their podcast and God had been making so many healings. I thought yeah God's going to heal me there and he didn't. And it was disappointing for me. And that goes on my staff here, that disappointment. But that same week, God gave me this verse, Genesis 41, 52. Um, the name of the second he called Ephraim. He's talking about Joseph's uh, second son, Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And God spoke to me clearly. It was at the end of the week when I was feeling disappointed. I was, I was reading, reading the word and I read this passage. And it made me think, yeah, deafness is my affliction. But look how fruitful God has made me in it. I lecture in music oral, for goodness sake, and music composition. I lecture in listening to music. That's what I lecture in at university. I lead worship here. You know, these things not many deaf people do. <laughs> God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so what do I do? I put that notch right next to my disappointment and I praise God. I worship God because he's a good God. In Isaiah, uh, we read um, uh, an event. The king of Assyria is going around destroying all the lands of um, in Judah, all the cities in Judah. And he's coming towards Jerusalem and he's ready to uh, kind of take over Jerusalem and to attack Jerusalem. And he sends his commander, the commander of his forces, to go and instill fear into the people in Jerusalem to, to, to make proclamations that they're going to get killed if they don't stop defending their city. They need to surrender straight away. And um, there's this passage that Isaiah writes. Um, the field commander said to them, that's the um, people uh, in Jerusalem, tell Hezekiah the king, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. And what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leads on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. And when I found this, I was just so pleased. We know that Egypt represents worldly things. It represents slavery. It represents the things that we put our trust in that are not God. And here it says, you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leads in it. What are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? Are you leaning on Egypt or are you leaning on God? Are you leaning on the one who brings comfort? We read in Psalm 
23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me through the darkest valley. God has a staff, it comforts us. Or does, does it pierce our hand, what we're leaning on? Or does it comfort us? We're leaning on, know that leaning on the right thing brings us comfort. So, we look at the staff. We look at the events of our life. Everything. And it brings us to worship God, just like Jacob did, in faith. So the third thing that we read that um, he did was that he worshipped. So he blessed Joseph's sons. He leaned on his staff and he worshipped again in faith. Um, so in his dying hour, at his weakest moment, Jacob adored and honoured God for the journey that he'd come on and the journey he was about to take. We know that worship, I would say, is probably the highest function of the human soul. We were made, all of us, to worship. And we all do worship something. We all worship something. We can choose who or what we worship but it is in all of us to raise up something and give it, give it worth. And what did Jacob do? He chose in this moment, in this moment at the end of his life, he chose to give glory to God. And I think there's gratitude in it. I think there is, uh, if we read in Genesis, go back to the Genesis the passage, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again because he thought he was dead. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. I hadn't expected even half of this blessing is what he's saying. I hadn't expected God to do this. God has blessed me mightily. God's grace is far above what we can imagine for ourselves. So our God is a God who's worthy of worship. God had promised Jacob and his family a whole country. And in return, Jacob had promised God a lifetime of worship. You can read that in Genesis 28. On the journey home, driving home late last night, um, Fru was sat next to me in the car, my wife, and she said, um, she asked me a, a question. She asked me what attribute of God helped me worship the most and immediately I didn't really have to think about it I mean it's God's grace God's grace helps me worship the most and she said uh, she said you're not somebody who is wretched you know he's about amazing grace that saved a wretch like me and I said no I don't feel wretched but I do feel blessed beyond beyond what, what I deserve I look at my life I look at my, my wife and my kids and my family and my home, my friends, my work, my church. I never expected even half of it. I never expected even half of it. I had expectations when I was a child and my life surpasses that. And I, look, I never expected to see what I see now and God has done so much more and that causes me to worship. Have you received anything from God? We know that in Hebrews 11, um, when it's going through this passage of faith, it said, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. We are living in the promise of God. Yes, we have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, but we're also living in our inheritance now. We are, because of what Jesus did, because of Jesus dying and bringing us forgiveness and justifying us from our sins and saving us from our, from, our, from our life that we had before, we are living in God's promises in the way that these people didn't. That's enough to, to worship God for. Jacob's faith enabled him to worship based on just the promise of things. We can worship based on a reality of things that we have. Now we don't know exactly what Jacob's worship 
looked like. There are various words for praise and for worship in the Bible. Um, again, we've been, I've been looking at these recently. There's words like halal, which is an exuberant praise. There's a word like yada, which means raising your hand in praise and worship. There's a word like barak, which means kneeling in praise and worship. All these words are used throughout the Bible. Um, zamar, which means playing an instrument uh, skillfully. It's all part of praise and worship. And there's this other word, tauda, which is a word that I think actually sums this up perfectly. Toda is a, um, a word that means thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise, rejoicing in something that is yet to happen. And I think that's what Jacob is doing. He's giving God toda. He's giving God praise for something that hasn't even happened yet, but he's confident that it will. His faith allows him to believe that it will. Hebrews 13 verse 15, he says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. We can continually do that, even, even in the bad times, because we know and we can believe that God will uh, bring us through and he's a good God. So where does that leave us then? Worship then. As we come to worship, Matt, Matt would you mind joining us? We're going to spend a few minutes worshipping. I said to Matt that I'd like to sing a couple of songs at the end just to give us a chance to exercise faith uh, in singing to God, singing praise, singing spiritual songs, and uh, we're going to worship. Now, worship is an expression of faith. If we already have faith, if we believe God, if we trust God, then that can cause us to worship. That, can cause us, that gives us faith to worship. Sorry, can we go back to the PowerPoint? Worship as an expression of faith. Also, maybe you're feeling that um, you're feeling dry at the moment in the faith department. Maybe your faith level is not what you think it needs to be or not what you wish it would be. You look around and you see other people believing stuff and living a life of faith and you wish you could too. Can I just say that actually worship also cultivates faith. As well as being an expression of faith, when you raise your hands, when you sing, when you give glory to God, it cultivates faith within you. It builds faith within you. So as well as being an expression of faith, worship will build faith within you. Also, I didn't number that very well, did I? Anyway, they're all important. They're all the most important thing. <laughs> worship triggers faith for miracles. Did you know that? As we worship, it will, it will raise a faith within us and it will raise an expectation that God will do something supernatural. Supernatural. Do you need healing today? Do you need bodily healing, physical healing, emotional healing? Do you need healing of your mind? Do you need deliverance in an area? Do you need a change of circumstances? Is something in your life not going the way you want it to go? Then we need to focus on God. We focus on God, we, for the moment, let's put aside, let's stop focusing on the problem, let's stop focusing on, on the circumstance, and let's put our focus on God. Worship is a great way of doing that. Open your mouth, raise your hands, give God glory, give God worship, and just see what happens to us. Even, even if those changing circumstances don't happen immediately, it will bring about a faith 
that will cause us to, to trust God. And God can work with that. God can work with us when our faith is, is, is there. And what does it say in Hebrews? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means with faith, we're pleasing God. And that's what we want to do. We want to please God with our faith this morning. So we're going to worship. We're going to give God glory. And worshipping in those circumstances does take faith. And it cultivates faith. It builds faith. And it helps us focus on the answer rather than the problem. Let's all stand together and let's lift our eyes to God.